Hello and welcome to this week's Betfair Cheltenham broadcast where we are looking ahead to the Gold Cup, the Champion Chase and the Ryanair. And I did tell you on last week's show that it's a big one this week, so I'm glad you decided to join us. Now, I'm very pleased to say we have yet another strong team to guide us through this week's three races. We have Betfair's latest ambassador, Bryony Frost, back again this week. Betfair's very own Alan Conway and, of course, still last but not least, Dan Barber, who looks as if he's had a great time at Market Raven today. So, Dan, did you have a nice time today? And how are you? It was good, yeah. Just about thawing out. I was bold early on, went just with suit, jacket and shirt. And by the time the 20 past four race was winding around, I was absolutely bolted. But thankfully, this press room's got a heater, so I'm nice and toasty. Yeah, you know, you do look it, to be fair. Like, you've done very well. I literally feel like I was listening to you about five minutes ago and all of a sudden Sorry you're back about here. So, super too multitasking, much, Too yeah. much barber. So you can so never, never have enough then. <laughs> but no, delighted to have Dan with us yet again. And Alan, of course, really great to have you back on the show with us again. How are you? Yeah, brilliant. A bit like Dan. I'm, I'm just about tired out from Leopardstown over <laughs> the two days. So it was Baltic as Brian would be able to attest on Saturday in particular. Mm. But um, yeah, two two brilliant um, days of racing. And I think a couple of the races we're going to be talking about, pictures got even a little bit more muddled than, than just before the weekend. But um, yeah, no. Brilliant, brilliant race, and um, I think Fasal Vega was the was the highlight for me in the in the bumper at the last. It was nearly dark when he was coming around the final bend, but he he whizzed by the winning post and nearly went down the motorway. He was going that quick <laughs> after, <laughs> a, after the the finishing line. So yeah, no, lots 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 to talk about. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into everything. Yeah, definitely. And as you say, I think that um, that Fasal Vega, as a few people managed to say, managed to get them out of trouble, even though he was the eight to <laughs> eleven favorite, but managed to get a few people out of trouble then apparently on the Saturday. So glad you had a good time. And of course, Bryony, you were there as well. Great to have you back with us. I cannot wait to pick your brain sort of about the weekend, really, and about Leopardstown. So, I mean, how was it for you? I'd say this is a good starting point for us then, is just to get your thoughts on the whole of the Leopardstown weekend. Well, for for uh, for my the way my my racing went, a bit abysmal, really, from looking <laughs> forward to it for, for how long um, it uh, the, uh, the odds stacked against us Mother Nature had her say on opening the clouds on on the pair of the boys. Um, I know uh, it was a spot the English rider on Sunday going down the inside, but uh, I had my reasons to go there. And, and uh, yeah, the, both the boys are home and they're, they're absolutely fine. Um, so that is the main thing. Um, we kind of just scrap, scrap those two runs, really. But to be there in the racing, the facilities there, the track to go around, the fences are, you know, they're challenging. You have to, you have to jump them. Um, but they're also brilliantly presented. Um, turning down the back there is just awesome to sight those fences and the atmosphere there with everybody. Um, and, uh, you know, Honeysuckle, for instance, getting cheered down to the start. Just a phenomenal uh, atmosphere to be around. And you got to soak in the whole atmosphere, did you then, between sort of your own rides and everything then as well? You managed to get out into the into the stands and all and enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, with Frode um, even coming back in, uh, you know, the, the crowd members coming up to me there, still praising him and, and still bigging him up. And, you know, actually, when I came back into the weighing room after feeling a bit deflated, it's, it's a horrible feeling when you're getting swallowed before the race has even really started. Um, you kind of think, you know, your, your part, you know, the future failures will never take away your, you know, your past achievements. So um, that's kind of what went through my head. And, and uh, yeah, like I say, we're, we're all good to go another day. You know, he's sound and he's OK. So, you know, he's in a 
Paul will have them right for the next time for sure. So I know they weren't celebratory drinks, but did you manage to sample any Dublin nightlife in the aftermath, drowning yeah. in your sorrows? I, yeah, no, I, I I had what you call it a lady Guinness, like in one of the small glasses. Oh. Um, what, did, yeah. what did you think? <laughs> Actually, well, the first Lady one. Guinness, the first what year, one what year is this? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, the first one was terrible, but actually, <laughs> they always say the second one is better, which I, I actually agree. So, yeah. yeah so um, you had 10 pints of Guinness, a kebab, yeah, and then back That's, home. yeah. Before nine, <laughs> before nine o'clock. You got Saturday. the full work. <laughs> no, no, but we did. We did. We had to try. We had to try. So, um, and uh, but no, we were at Fontwell the next day, so yeah, so uh, ever the pro, ever the pro, Brian, exactly, ever the pro. Lady Guinness is going to be my new karaoke stage name, I think. <laughs> that, that is wonderful. <laughs> I'm feeling that for all it's worth. So, Brian, it's sampling the, the, the reality then of the Dublin Racing Festival as well as the day itself, but. As you say, just unfortunate then for, for the boys to have not quite performed. But as we know, there is a, a whole sort of underlying issue at the minute. And for those of you who were saying about Frodon going down the end, a completed track grinding the entire way through. So there's your reasoning for you nonetheless. And Dan, then I guess for you, you were probably like me watching on from Old Blighty in absolute horror on how on earth are the Brits going to have any chance against this Irish battalion that they're all going to be bringing over yet again? Yeah, I thought... I think that um, Irish Gold Cup, as much as anything, I don't. The waters were already murky, and I think they did actually become a fair bit clearer. But I think they became a fair bit clearer because basically nearly all the field I thought ruled themselves out of potentially winning a Gold Cup. I wasn't even that taken by Manila Rindo. What I think it does do, I think the increased clarity is the fact that Galvin and a Plutard, by staying in the boxes, have probably strengthened their claims. And obviously, that's something we'll go on to discuss. Fasil Vega was, of course, a, a massive highlight. Foolish me saying that he might be the horse that's overbet because of his pedigree. Probably underbet the way he won that race. I'm still holding some hope with Redemption Day in that bumper, but it's greatly diminished when you see a horse with that physique and that pedigree just motoring away as he did. He looked even more impressive than Kilcrut. Mm, no, he really did, as you say. And then we've seen sort of a couple of videos now where they put those two side by side and it does look as though Fasal Vega was an even better winner than he say as say Kilchrist of that race then last season. So that is going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. And don't worry, Dan, I was in the same boat where I thought, ah, sure, it's worth taking on, isn't he, at that okay. point? Yeah, no, no. Readily put back in my box at that point by the super, super impressive winner and Alan's highlight then of Leopardstown as well. Now, we do have a question for you before we're going to get started on the action itself. Dan has devised another one here, and this one is a really interesting one, and it has a link as well to the stats that we're going to be talking about in terms of the Gold Cup. So do pay attention then to this one. So the question is, who was the last horse to win the Gold Cup having finished second at the first attempt? And as I say, there's going to be a reason why we're going to be discussing that winner in particular then when we get on to talking about the Gold Cup. But we're going to start with the champion chase, though, nonetheless, and what a race this is set to be. It's already my festival highlight. I'm still five weeks away, so uh, before it even has happened. But we get to see the clash of Shishkin versus Anergamine, round two, and it's Shishkin who currently heads the betting as the four to five favourite from Anergamine at three to one. Chacun Poussois after getting back to winning ways at the weekend at 13 to two. Nube Negra last year's second at 10 to one. Envoy Elen at 20 to one. Grenatine therefore at 25 to one. Stablemate Polistolog also at 25 to one. The defending champion put the kettle on also at 25s and it is 33 to one bar. So Dan, starting with you here, please. 
it's round two. Who wins? You have to pick one of the top two. Nothing else. Yeah, this is our Frasier versus Ali, isn't it? Rumble yeah. in the jungle, rumbling <laughs> at Presbury. I mean, sometimes I think from a betting perspective, you just have to admit that the bookies have got it right. And I think Betfair yeah. have, the sportsbook have got this right. Shishkin has got the 1-0 verdict over Energamine. There was only a length in it. But I think in Energamine's current price, you're less factoring in the fact that he went close to beating Shishkin and you're more factoring in some of the unknowns. Will he be as effective at Cheltenham? We know that Shishkin will. And also, I think, factoring to the price is the emphasis that he does have some blowout potential in Ergamine because of those questions that he has to answer. Whereas Shishkin seems pretty bomb-proof. I know there's a there's a touch of the Altios how he hits that flat spot, but the way he motored late on under circumstance, where I do think Inergamine probably did a bit too much, but I understand why mm. use that jump in it. He ran an absolutely huge race. They both did. They'll probably know they both had a race. It's not a market I will be playing in at, at present, certainly, but if you are looking to play in it, I think you're more likely to get Inergamine out of the three than you are Shishkin. He looks nailed on to be, to be there or thereabouts. Yeah, for sure. But it is, it is absolutely fascinating between the clash between these two then at the head of market. But that makes a very fair point there, Alan, about between these two. Energamine has the blowout potential rather than Shishkin. Just ticks every box, does he? So are you trying to take him on here or are you siding with him at the odds on price? I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be that brave, Kate, to take him on. And <laughs> thank God we have trainers who want to take each other on. And it was such a good clash, wasn't it? Oh yeah. At, at, at so, Ascot, yeah. you know, and it just it, it just distills national hunt racing into a proper, proper six or seven minutes of just high quality horses going at it, hammer and tongs, forgetting about, you know, big festivals down the road. They were both there on the day, took each other on. And I think for an ergamian backers, there's, there's little wiggle room, is there, between Ascot and now Cheltenham? Because everything seems to be lined up perfectly for him. If he was ever going to beat Fishkin, I think Ascot was the day. He had his conditions, had his track. He jumped very well. He travelled very well and he was just beaten, wasn't he? That was, mm. there was just no real kind of excuse. Like he didn't clout the second last or the last. Shishkin did hit his flat spot and came on again. And it's, it was a proper clash. And if you're looking for kind of excuses to, to go against Shishkin, I think they're few and far between on the ground. As Dan said, he does have a touch of the, the kind of Altiors about him. And wouldn't it be brilliant for, for Nicky Henderson? He just keeps unearthing these superstar championship two mile horses. Yeah. Seems to be uh, kind of year after year. I, I, I wonder if there's a trainer ever to have that kind of record for mm. a specific type of horse over a specific mm. type of distance over the last couple of years, because it's it's just uncanny the way he seems to find these star two-mile chasers. I've written a brief article recently, and that's basically that in line with the Supreme. I mean, mm. if it wasn't for Henderson, the only name that isn't Mullins or Elliot on the recent record in the Supreme it's a Tom George when Somerville boy won, but he's basically Henderson playing the role as like a, a Dunkirk or something, trying desperately to keep the, the enemy forces at <laughs> Holding bay. everyone back from, yeah. the, from the winning post. <laughs> uh, he seems to be the only one who's capable of bringing a longer the Supreme horse. He's obviously uh, amazed at doing it, but now we've got the similar scenario. You say the, the two-mile speed chases, that is that is very much his bag as well. I mean, one thing, just a thing to add about Chuskin, I'm sure, I'm hoping Brian will fill us in here a bit. We discussed last week about Gallop and Deschamps being the natural jumper, a more natural jumper than Bob Ollinger. Is it fair to say it's starting to look that that is just Shishkin? He's not going to be a bold jumper throughout. There'll always be a tendency to go left. We just have to accept that that's a, a flaw he has, but he's still so very good that he's able to overcome it. 
Yeah. And so, Brian, I'll throw this back to you, kind of, I guess, with Shishkin. I mean, with Altior himself, you know, even though he was a standout two-miler of his his generation then, for all that, he never really jumped like what we would perceive to be sort of an out-and-out two-mile chaser where he tended to give his fences basically way too much height. And then you've got Shishkin, as Sam said, he does run down his fences to his left there. Obviously, it's going to matter less at Cheltenham in itself. But if it doesn't stop him, is it anything that you should really be concerned about? Well, I mean, if, if it doesn't stop him, then, you know, you keep doing what's working um, and you don't change it. Every horse has his own different technique um, and he learns it as he goes. Um, with time, they sometimes develop slightly different or less or they stay the same when they're novices. You, you know, um, yeah, I mean, Cheltenham could, if it comes good ground, could really lend itself to a strong front runner mind. Um, you know, I, I do, I do think... I do think that, um, and when he hits his flat spot, where will that come on the track? Mm. Um, you know, and, and the race is as just that it's, it's boiling up to, to be probably the one. And, and, you know, if, if I do ride grenadine in it, I cannot wait to go out in it. Um, just because it's just going to be fast and furious and it's the best of the best. There's just going to be lightning out there. Um, you know, so that's, that's kind of, yeah, it's, it's it's difficult. I know I know in the in the market those two horses will be talked about a lot and the clash will come again. But you know, the other guy now, yeah, it's it's a front runner's track if it comes good ground. There's a lot of undulations down the back, it's always on the turn. If you're jumping and you're traveling and you keep moving forward, you can stack them up the top there, have your breather, and then kick off down the hill. You know, it's it's there's a lot to play for, and then the quick two fences there up the hill. Yeah, I, I would say it will still be a good battle when it comes to it. Yeah, I don't think Shishkin has his measure as of yet. I think the two of them, the two of them are very on an even keel, if that's the case. Yeah, that, for sure. Is that the best race to ride in Brownie? Two miles, mm. Cheltenham. Ah, yeah, they all, they all differ. <laughs> yeah. you know, those staying chasers, when you can find a rhythm and it's just that consistent gallop, you know, we don't go slow in them. You know, if mm. anything, we can roll sometimes faster than two miles. Sometimes you... You find two milers, they'll they'll blitz for the first two fences, and then it'll actually the second half of your race will be slightly quieter, and then you'll and then you'll blitz out again over the last three. Whereas sometimes those long distance races, the you know, it's just an endless numb gallop that you can find that rhythm and it's relentless. And uh, you know, they astonish you on their determination to hold a stride. Um, so there's an equal buzz and differences, but when you're on a two miler and he and he finds a fence and a stride right and they're at the pinnacle of their speed, yeah, it takes you it takes you to a different kind of buzz. That's an odd that's an odd thing, isn't it, about the championship chase? You're down the years and sadly I go back a fair bit longer than you two, uh, you three probably. Um, <laughs> I don't associate the championship chase with being won by a horse that just blitzes out from the front, pings every fence and just runs them ragged. I mean, all those brilliant wins we've seen down the years, like the mastermind, is sprint to Sacra. Mm -hmm have tended to be ridden a bit more patient. I think horses like New Mill made all, I think, put the kettle on, led, and then battled back, didn't she? But special it's tiara. funny. So, yeah, Special Tiara won under a really good row. Is that Noel Feely rode mm. that day? I mean, rode that day. I mean, it's just a, an odd situation where you think, oh, it's two miles, it's the fastest chasers, go as hard as you can and see where it gets you. But it's rarely broken apart from the front like that. Yeah, but that is a very interesting case, because just to play devil's advocate here, of course, I am just going to back up what Bryony was basically saying here over trying to give a chance then 
to an ergamine with reversing the form. And so I've just sort of done a little bit of digging into this. And then when you think about the Clarence House Chase, it was run over, well, it was meant to be run over two miles, 167 yards, but it was actually run over two miles, 210 yards when taking into account the rail movements. Therefore, the Clarence House was run over 10 yards, just shy of two mile one. Shishkin clearly needed every yard mm. of that trip to claw back an ergamine. And the trip of the champion chase may well be telling champion chase due to be run over a mile seven and 199 yards. So 231 yards uh, less than the Clarence House chase. And if the Ascot contest had been run over that trip, the result would have been different because of Shishkin with his, his flat spot. And I know what people say that, yes, if my grandmother had wheels, she would have been a bike, yada, yada, yada. That's but, not what they say. No. But if my auntie had something else, exactly, they may well have done said something else. I go with that version. Uh, but the fact is still that if that race would be run over the shorter trip, then Nergreen would have prevailed. The champion chase, as Bryony's just been saying, then uh, on Cheltenham's old course, which is very much a sharper test than the new course, naturally the track does lend itself to prominent races at least. And as you've just said, Dan, that sometimes with um, with winners that we've previously seen, it can lend itself to it. So that's why I could pull special tiara then out of a the hat. Then you've got Politolog as well. Put the Kessel on with Ridden prominently. Altior wasn't far away when he won. Um, so if Cheltenham does get its typical spring ground that we're accustomed to, then it may put further emphasis on the speed, which Anergamine, it's certainly in his favour. But all of these reasons, it is going to set it up beautifully as Bryony says there. But Bryony, just to throw it back to you about Grenatine, I mean, are we now overlooking him? He's a Dingle Creek winner. Are we overlooking him on the back of one dud run, which we probably have an excuse for? I mean, you're saying he's 25 to 1. Mm. I'll take each way on him and I'll be right oh. for all I'm worth at the home straight for that. I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know? Um, and he, he was, Brian, you he turn was, off third, stop hitting him. That's yeah. it. <laughs> no. Hands um, and heels, hands and heels. Just, yeah. <laughs> I have to say, what was it? Uh, was it last year? Yeah, um, I was due to go out on him, and it, it probably had to be the hardest part of my career. Had had the silks on, so pumped to go out in into the Queen with with him, and um, and of course Plitlog, um, he had that little nosebleed, so the silks. As I was walking out to the paddock, I remember Derham coming towards me. I thought, oh, his face doesn't look good. What's wrong? Oh. And he just said, sorry, B, uh, Harry's on Gren. I was like, so, and he's stable jockey. It's, it's That's fine. So you kind of have to take a deep breath. The silks come off your back. You hand them to Harry and you say, good luck. And you go and watch him. And I had a, a very clear plan in my head what I wanted to do with him. Um, and the way that he stayed he stays strong over two miles and, uh, you know, going back to the Tingle Creek. Yes. And, and then we, we've, you know, our two biggest runs of our career have come from Sandown, um, you know, so, but strong uphill. Cheltenham's a strong uphill and he is settling a little more. So um, I would say that, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'll keep positive. Yeah. I'd have been on your side. I've been seeing you mm. expertly guide him around Musselburgh where he jumped like better than any chase I've probably ever seen. I'd have been Team Brownie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's quicker, right? He's very quick over a fence. So. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, that he does. Suddenly, he's all of a sudden drifted out to what looks a pretty feasible price, considering he had plenty of these in behind him at Sandown. So that looks as though, yeah, so Bryony is obviously riding now for, for Team Rawcast then to pick up the places <laughs> on Grenadine, hopefully then for all of us. So just to round off then our champion chase chat. So 
Alan, Dan, you're both with Shishkin then to uphold the form. In, no, no better view from me. I just think that's a race that I, I can't wait. I just hope... I struggled to see them producing the, as good a form performance as they did on bad ground when they could really get strung out at Ascot. But equally, yeah. if it's those two coming down to the last, I mean, we're in for another treat. Yeah, so yeah. The, as Dan said, it's like Fraser and Ali, isn't it? Just two, two heavyweights as well. And just just on, on Grenatine as well, are, are we kind of overlooking Nichols' horses in, in general at the moment? I know they're going through a little bit of a... A, a bump in the road, but like, yeah, like you know, like, like a Tingle Creek winner twenty five to one in a in, in a champion chase could be, you know, a lot of people could have a, a bit of egg mm. on their face now because you imagine Paul is going to be doing everything to get the the team back all singing and dancing for Cheltenham. So it's it's just one to keep one to keep an eye on as well over over the next few weeks. Yeah, exactly, and and into this weekend then as well for that. And I am just going to take a very different stance then because of the reasons I've said then and side with Anagami and Bryony. Of course, hopefully we get the well you to ride then Grenatine in there and and to give him an, an absolute peach then uh, for the podcast. Looking forward to that. So we will move on then to the Ryanair Chase where we have a less competitive feel about this race with the reigning champion Alaho. Currently heading the market as the 11 to 10 favourite from an ergamine in second at 8 to 1, which just sort of tells you its own story, really, doesn't it? <clears throat> then it's St. Calvados at 8 to 1, Janadil at 12 to 1, Mr. Fisher also at 12 to 1, Chamblou at 12s, Asterian Blanche, aka the bowling ball at 14s, Fakir Duderie at 14s, Tornado Flyer, 14th, Envoy Land 16th, and it's 20 to 1 bar, about a fair amount of horses who probably won't even run in this race. So, Alan, what is your initial assessment of the Ryanair please? I think it's summed up very well, Kate. The Ryanair for me is one horse I think of was Vator all those all those years ago, just when he put in one of probably the second best jump display I've ever I've ever seen at Cheltenham, the first one being the, the JLT a, a year previously. Um as I said, it's it's difficult enough to to have a definitive view on it at the moment. Um Alaho was brilliant last year, wasn't he? It was like it was such a a, a polished round of jumping and a bit like Vittoria, you know, you're just kind of standing back and every time he, he jumps the fence, you're kind of, your breath gets taken away and he just kept, kept motoring, flew down the hill and turned in and then just looked and, and galloped away from, from his rivals. You can imagine an Ergamine would be going to, going to the champion chase. So that's kind of him ruled out as well. I like the look of loss in translation as a bit of a, a left field selection. I know he's entered in the, the Betfair Ascot chase next week, fifth in the King George last time, but, his best kind of best form is over over two and a half and over a bit shorter as well. He's a brilliant jumper. I was a Carlisle a couple of years ago. Dan might be able to correct me if I'm mm. wrong, but he it was a brilliant, brilliant round of jumping. He I mean, stood off outside the wings of a couple of fences. The engine is definitely there. I think Tizards is slowly beginning to come back into a bit of form. And I just think with the chance that the race will cut, cut up a fair bit, he could be in an each way price. And I think he's around double figure prices anyway on the Bethlehem Sports Book at the moment. So tw- 25 to 1 in a race where you can imagine an Ergamine won't be running. A steering mm-hmm. flange, the bowling ball may not may not may strike out, <laughs> strike out again. Hey, um, <laughs> Tornado Flyer may, may go to the Gold Cup as well. And mm-hmm. Envoy Allen might drop back to two miles as well. So I just think a, a 25 to 1. Loss in translation could be a, a bet in a, in a race that it's sure to cut up. And, you know, loss in translation, this is why I was sort of half thinking about him. I think he's about 50s for the Gold Cup, but mm. Ryanair is a very fair ploy as well, because I think he's got a bit of the Imperial Commander about him, mm. where he just doesn't take to Kempton. We saw that with Imperial Commander in two King Georges, where he just ran disappointingly in them, then came back to win the Ryanair, and then ran disappointingly again the following year, came back to win the Gold Cup. It just is a track that doesn't seem to suit certain horses, and lost in translation 
As you say, maybe I'm still just holding on to it, but he was mainly my one for the Gold Cup. So as soon as you said him for the Ryanair, I thought, well, drat. Uh, that's not ideal then. But he is a fascinating runner nonetheless at a big price, as you say, at 25 to 1 then. Now, Bryony, of course, you have some of the happiest memories ever of this race. So I don't want to crib the Ryanair as a whole very much. Of course, it's just this particular renewal isn't looking overly inspiring right now. But in terms of the horse you need for the Ryanair, what would be your sort of idea of what you need? Well, yeah, there's probably a horse that that has has speed, but also uh, is limited to three miles. Um, it's you know we jump those three fences, and then you then you come around quite a tight bend. Those three fences are pretty blistering. Um, everybody needs to find their their position, and then you have that long straight there. Where you jump jump the four, and then that's your first breather there at the top, and then you swing on down, and we start rolling it forward. And like I say, you jump that last ditch the fence at the top of the hill, you can have a, a small breather at, meet it neatly, and then you're off again and you're on the way home. So you basically get two breathers in two and a half miles and that's it. Um, mm. I think St. Calvados now, he, he's he got the speed um, and he he has, um, you know, his jumping is, is slick and fast. You, you may argue that he can be a little ignorant over one or two, but he loses no time. I think he arrived there too quickly in the King George um so you wouldn't rule him out as well um especially that in the yard every stone is being unturned so these horses will turn up in march um with every every ounce of their coat groomed and made sure is in the right position um as it were so but i mean I, you know i actually rewatched uh froze ryanair today and i had goosebumps all over me if anything i was nearly tearing up um because it was just a moment and actually hearing it back you can hear the crowd mm. uh and it was just yeah it, it, he was that that day um will live forever with me and it was yeah. just awesome yeah and you know when they came to swamp me as well over two out in the last and you could hear him you could hear people growling at the horses you could and Asa was right next to me I was like you're not even meant to be here <laughs> um you know and, and he landed out on the last front I was like, go cool, on, I was like, go cool, on, Fro, you gotta go. Um, you know, and, and as soon as I stopped driving over the line, he was like, okay, we're done. And it was like, really? A noise, the cameras yeah. are not basically cameras in his nostrils. Um, <laughs> and the crowd on the way home, they were trying to get over the rails and give him a pat and things like this. It's just, oh, uh, I will never, I probably never will experience that again in my, in my lifetime for that that pinnacle moment of of Frode winning at the festival yeah. there you got you guys were seen to be in sync yeah every, every step way. of the way didn't you just to be able to take it back in then again i'd say Bryony, just to actually realize the enormity of it and and exactly then how he managed to win that as you say then aso coming at you but <laughs> at a huge price for that race but yeah that was phenomenal if we have another race like that then again this year well it will set us up an absolute treat now dan i would like to get your thoughts on the ryanair please <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think looking back to last year, I mean, it's likely to be a very similar renewal in the sense that Alaho will take horses to places that physically they can't really go. I mean, yeah. the likes of it, it, I'm not saying it was directly responsible, but you forced Imperial Aura to burst a blood vessel. Horses yeah. that stay quite well were completely exhausted from a long way out. I've never, not sure I've seen a Cheltenham performance like that in all those years. Just pure, relentless bruising and and thrashing horses by breaking them effectively it was mm -hmm. Demonesque really from Alaho so I envisage a similar scenario this year but two horses have got to fill the frame somehow so I see the lost in translation thing I'm going similar in the sense that I want a horse that stays a bit further 
who will have nothing to do with the early pace. I don't want a horse that's going to take Aloha on because he'll, he'll be uh, queuing for oxygen halfway around. <laughs> so I'm looking for, he's the only entry that's horse has got at the festival. I, I thought Janadil might be playing this each way. Granted, I'm playing for places, admittedly, at best. But his form this season is good enough to have him placed in most runnings of the Ryanair. It would have had him placed last year. I don't think he's much worse than Fakir Duderiz, if he's, he's any worse at all. Um, he'll be patiently ridden. He's shown lately that he stays three miles, so that's super, that extra stamina is no bad thing, the way Alaho is likely to turn this race. And just look at his, his form this year. I mean, yeah, he was really good at Fairy House at the Irish Grand National Meeting. He had Asterion for launch behind. Um, he had conflated behind. I think he was back in fourth. And... He's been second to Galvin. He's then been fifth in a race behind Galvin at Christmas, where I think his stamina was stretched in the mud. Circumstances should be different. I thought it was a bit of a close one between him and St. Calvados for very similar profiles to me. We'll be patiently ridden and have stamina for longer trips, but he's four points bigger at the minute. So Janadil would be the way I'm playing this, particularly as he's the only, his only festival entries in the Ryanair. Yeah, so at least then we can pretty be pretty pretty confident that if he does go there, well, he's going to go for the Ryanair then with his only entry there. And as you say, his form for sure stacks up amongst the best then of the rest, basically, in this race. And the fact he's managed to finish second to Alaho and the John Dirk and the only horse that could get um, near him, thanks to the Syrian Falange, uh, ditching Brian Cooper, then that mm -hmm. form clearly stacks up. But you would have missed Brian's talk then about St. Calvados, as you say, with, uh, with the same profile then where... He's just a quick, he has the speed, he'll be ridden patient and patiently, then he'll hopefully be staying on there if he does jump clean enough again, then St. Caldos. So there are a few angles then into the Ryanair, basically, for um uh Alan, I did get your thoughts on this race, didn't I? Yeah, lost in translations. My how was it? Lost in translation, of course. My, my big nap. <laughs> yeah, it did get lost in translation. Apologies, yeah, I did get lost. Yeah, it did, it did apparently. <laughs> lost in translation there. You should understand yeah. the Irish accent. Uh, oh, I know. Well, to be fair, that's all I've heard over the weekend completely. Like you say, and that's not even just from who I live with at home. That is just from what <laughs> I hear. I hear you lot on TV more so than him nowadays. So it's, <laughs> it's fine. I'm surprised I haven't picked up your accent yet, Dan, after the amount of days you've had on uh, TV. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. <laughs> but a no, really interesting angles then into the Ryanair from the team there. But it does look as kind of race where you will want to have a bit of an angle into it at this stage. Now, we are going to move on to the big one. It is the Gold Cup now that we're going to finish on. It's the Boodles Gold Cup to give it its proper title this year, where this is becoming more and more open by each passing weekend, in my opinion. Very difficult to nail down a particular horse for this year's renewal, I thought. But the market is currently shaped as follows. A Plutard at 7-2, Galvin at 9-2, Manella Indoor at 9-2, Album Photo at 8-1, Protectress at 10-1, Conflated, the Irish Gold Cup winner at 12-1, King George winner, Tornado Flyer, 14s, Chantry House at 20 to 1, Ahoy Senior, will he, won't he go here, 25 to 1? Hopefully not. <laughs> <Royal> <laughs> not, for, not for Dan. No. <laughs> Hopefully not for Dan. Uh, Royal Pagai at 25 to 1, and it's 33 to 1. Bar. So, Brian, of course, you were riding in the Irish Gold Cup, as we spoke about uh, earlier on then at the weekend, and as we touched upon beforehand, Frodon obviously uh, didn't fire, but Conflated was tracking you throughout. So, do you think the form of that race is basically going to stand up in the Gold Cup this year? Or are you trying to sort of look away from that race and potentially horses that, as Dan was saying, have stayed in their box? Yeah, I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to read that race, really. Mm. Um, we didn't go overly hard. 
um, slowed it right up at the, the post for the circuit to go. Um, and then it was generally just an even gallop till that point. Um, and then, you know, and then the speed came from the back of three out. Um, so, you know, and I was out, I was out of it that quickly. I couldn't really tell you the sort of speed they were going into the last and what sort of race it was riding like at that, that pinnacle of point of a race. Um, so couldn't really tell you much of the idea that would come from that. Um, you know, so, so in that, in that case, but. I mean, Album Photo, he could, you know, just because he may just be being overlooked as well. You know, he knows what to do when he turns up at Cheltenham. Um, and uh, yeah, so he's he's actually, I actually thought about that when I looked through the race. It's kind of like, yeah, no, he could he could easily turn up on the scene um, with the other two being talked about. Minello Indo, I think he probably likes a softer ground. That's maybe why you saw a better run from him on the weekend. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on that. Yeah, very solid thoughts there. But Bryony makes a really strong point there, Alan, about album photo. And I sort of, I've got the impression, I think it's from Ruby Walsh, really. Maybe I've just read into it wrongly. But throughout this entire season, he's sort of kept reiterating, don't forget about album photo. He knows how to go there and do it. You know, that was his, what, his second best RPR that he posted when finishing third in the Gold Cup last year. So are we being quite quick to write off a horse that's a dual Gold Cup winner? Well, that's it. He has the he has the form in the book, isn't he? He's, he's been there and done that. Um I was I was impressed with his his comeback run in, in Tremor as well, and then like Willie was, I, I think maybe jesting with us that he was going to run him a bit more often over the course of the season. But um, <laughs> yeah. he stuck to he stuck to his tried tried and trusted route as well. And um, just for the a Plutar, like I'd still be a little bit concerned. I'm not sure about what what Dan and, and you guys think, but just the stable stable mm-hmm. form of Henry mm-hmm. de Bromhead, it's still not they're still not firing. It's a bit like when you, you always assume when it's chucking it down for the entire February and you think, oh, well, it's always good to stop. But what if it mm. isn't? <laughs> you know, well, that's what, it, though. It, that's... Henry's, Henry's horses will be back. Of course they will. Well, what if they aren't? Because they, yeah. they have been quite, haven't they? And just on the side, that's probably it says a lot about Honeysuckle as well. The fact that she, yeah. she she did manage to win, you know, so impressively as well. But if if you're looking to back a Plutard or Manella Indo, you're taking a, li- a lot of faith at the moment, you know, that they're going to be cherry ripe come March as well. Like I mean, there's, there's, it's been a disappointing enough campaign, I think, for Henry given the heights that he that he reached last season. So it's it's going to be interesting. And then you've Galvin as well. Like Galvin is just probably he's cultivating a, a tidy race record without many people notice and you know he's not probably a, a very sexy horse you know he doesn't win by 20 odd lengths and and various things like that but he's just he's cultivating a lovely lovely race record as well and he was he was good to you at Christmas he, mm. he had to dig deep you know and he probably showed a bit more speed than I than I thought he had like I thought he was he was nailed on for the, the, the four miler you know it's just it's it's um it, it, he's putting in a lot you know a, a lot of good performances now and nine to two he could be worth about like I wouldn't be rushing to back a Plutard. Manella Indo obviously bombed out in, in the King George, as Brian he said, ran a better race at Leopardstown last weekend, but still has to improve again, you know, to come back come back to the heights that he was last season. I couldn't have Chantry House. I was very disappointed. Like I think I could have beaten him up the hill at, Ch- <laughs> at, Ch- at, Ch- at Cheltenham on trials day. He was he was going yeah. that slow. So I mean that's another horse that's going to going to improve now. I've been suckered in twice before. Chantry House, the King George, and the Gold Cup. So, um, oh, it's your cash that sent him off three. The, <laughs> <laughs> we know oh, who oh, to blame now. <laughs> all, my, all my five five euros, um, <laughs> and I know Dan probably won't want to hear, but if a, a hoist in euro goes, it'd be an, a lovely little shake up, wouldn't it? It'd be, it'd be great to see. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your thoughts on that then, Dan, about Hoy Senior? Um, sorry. <laughs> I'm hope. I'm hope as I see something purely financial. This, but yeah, I thought he was right. I thought he was right back on it, and I think left-handed testing track, being fired into fences. His jumping was better. He did, did go to his right slightly, but his record on left-handed tracks is pretty impressive when you consider what he did to Brave Man's game in the in the novice hurdle at Angel last season. So I'm, I'm still holding out hopes that they go for the more cautious routes. And perhaps because he's had the odd jumping issue to date, that may mean that they do go and tackle the novices again rather than tilting and doing a, a Coney green. Um, tough race this, because, yeah, I say we're going to rely on Henry's and there's an assumption that they will come back but to that end there is quite a lot of scope I thought for Plutard to short and I, I certainly don't think on the day we're going to line up and it'll be 7-2 the field in the Gold Cup because as Tony Calvin was saying in Wading I think it was that how many of those that are 10s plus can you really make a case for I couldn't uh, I think if, if a Plutard gets there on the day he's probably going to be 9-4 to four at an absolute maximum. And I know also why the, the bookies don't want to dangle 5-1 to one plus about Galvin because he looks a solid each way bet to nothing, doesn't he? He's proven at the track. He won the National Hunt Chase. You know he stays strongly. His improvement has been gradual, but it's been pretty relentless. He keeps getting a bit better and a bit better. But I did think a Plutard shaped like the better horse for so much of the race at Christmas. He, he'd already done enough running to win most races, when he shot clear under Rachel and I wondered if he slightly overdid it. I think if she had a time again, she might have counted to five and, uh, and gone a little later. She was just mugged, but, but that was at a time when the stable was quiet. I, I think he is a, a gold cup winner in waiting. It's only, I mean, how many goals has he had as a staying chase of four? He's won a bet fair chase by, by the length of the home straight. Um, he was second in a gold cup to Manila Indo. He's won a Savills staying on strongly last season and he's been nutted by Galvin in that, in that race this time around. I think he's definitely the one to be and I don't think 7-2 is an atrocious prize at all. I, I definitely think if Henry Sauce is showing signs that 9-4 to four even might be a thing of the past. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there have been a few people that I have read sort of still doubt his stamina, but you've just made the case there, Dan, that you think that sort of basically when he has won and won impressively, he's done it through stamina as much as anything else. And sure. Yeah, it's much that. It's the fact that you've had a horse who was running, beating Shaq and Poissoir over two. I don't yeah. know what it involves. You and Brian, can tell me, but he's now, he's only been trained as a staying chaser as such, as a Gold Cup horse for about 18 months now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like you say, the fact of being trained differently and Brian, back to you on that point. Sort of, we talk about a Plutard and the speed that he showed earlier on in his career, and now that he's sort of been transformed or trained towards becoming a staying chaser. And have you yourself sort of seen that with the horse that when they've kind of then been targeted at perhaps a slightly different discipline, that that horse is then trained differently at home, or can can that be a natural evolution? Oh, I mean, he was outrageously good last year at Cheltenham. I mean, just we are all in awe of him as jockeys sat there watching him. Um, and you know, as they get older, it's it's generally a, a you know a rule of thumb that they do end up staying further. They mature in their muscles, their bodies. They learn how to race, pace themselves, um, and and also they can get slower in their age too. So, um, but uh, you know that's kind of as a rule as you go. Um, personally speaking, I've never seen them be trained any differently from mm -hmm. two milers to to stayers, which 
you know, when you think about it, if you had runners and things, they do train differently to sprinters, you know. Um, but the, if you talk about flat horses, they're very much trained differently to national hunt horses. Um, they're trained on different surfaces as well. You'll find a lot of the flat horses will be trained on shallower sand, quicker ground um, for that case. Um, whereas national hunt horses, they will they will rotate the sand deeper for them because they're obviously training their bodies to deal with with the softer ground. So, um, you know, in, in that in mind, but I, I feel like a lot of the time you're building their portfolio and you're riding them, you, you're feeding back to your owners and your trainers the feel you'll get from them out there. And, you know, probably his, you know, they'll, they may come in and say, I feel like I could go a little further because he's under pressure or I was under pressure, you know, a bit too much and we need to come back. So that's why you'll see a lot of the time horses jumping a little bit in their distances and you can get it right and wrong when you decide to come back or up. But when you find the right formula, you tend to stick with it and keep kicking. Yeah, and that definitely is the right formula now for a blue card. And they say it looks pretty bomb-proof for all that the Henry de Bromhead form hasn't been exactly what we expect from it then this season all in all but when it comes to the top of the top horses I tend to think that doesn't matter quite as much I mean Alan back to you then I guess about Manella Rindo then I mean chanting him back at Cheltenham I mean that Henry de Bromhead has said himself that the horse grows uh, a fifth leg here not the kind of fifth leg where he would make a stallion career at the end of it but the fact that he just massively <laughs> improves for a <laughs> massively improved for going back to Cheltenham so I mean can you chance on on that run at the weekend that he is going to be back in form then back at basically his favorite place you do have to take that into consideration but you're still working from kind of a lower base considering where he was this yeah. time kind of 12 months ago I mean as you said before like Kempton doesn't suit every horse but it was still a very very poor run mm -hmm. improved at Leopardstown as Barry said, probably the soft ground did help as well, and it's kind of factored into into the price, isn't it? Like if he's he's nine to two at the moment on the on the Betfair Sportsbook, he's a reigning Gold Cup winner. You'd imagine. I'd just like to see Henry's in a little bit better form, you know, just not not just one or two horses running well, but the whole stable lifting up a little bit, and it's he's going to be there or thereabouts. It is going to be a a cracking race now. I couldn't have conflated though as well. I'm not sure what that what Dan thinks, but it's considering they were they were looking to run in the handicap on the Sunday, he would have been a model now. He would have he <laughs> yeah, would have won by yeah. would have won by half the track on on Sunday as well. It, it just seemed like the air just seemed to be taken out of the crowd of Leopardstown on, on Saturday. <laughs> more, more deflated, exactly. <laughs> um it was I think it was a shock to everybody, I think, the manner of the performance, you know, and it's just wouldn't know, as Brian said, you wouldn't know what the kind of form stacks up to, but it's it'd be interesting to see if they go. I suppose when you win a, a grade one by that many lengths, you'd, you'd surely be tempted at a, a swing at a Gold Cup. The section yeah, suggested sure. that as well, but I was interested mm. what Brian said about how it didn't look like they'd gone that quick. For me, it just became a, a bizarre staying race that put a, mm. an accent on speed and a horse that had formed at shorter trips was well placed, was able to get two or three clear. And the staying types amongst them couldn't make up the ground. I'm not even sure we'd stay at the Gold Cup trip. I'm not even sure we'd go for the race. Maybe we'd throw an air. Oh, there you go. Then, yeah, because that's what I thought. I thought he was just given a, a massful ride then by Davey, who just happened to kick exactly at the right time and basically stole a few lengths and in the process whilst Manella Rindo was just sort of caught a bit flat-footed and then just plugged on as much as anything else. So, yeah, really tricky to read that form line. And just one more horse, and Dan, I want to chuff at you, that is in here, is Royal Pagai, who hasn't been talked about whatsoever, 25-to-1 shot then here. I mean, is he being underestimated considering 
he, you know, last year in this race in the Gold Cup, it surely was just an almighty shock to his system as a novice then. And he just didn't jump well enough to feature. But now that we've seen him coming back and Venetia Williams taking the old school approach into the Gold Cup, then with the Peter Marsh and winning that so impressively, is he being overlooked here? I'm not sure he is. I mean, if it was a heavy ground cup, Gold Cup, perhaps, that seems yeah. unlikely. We don't know. But um, he wasn't a conventional novice either, really. I mean, he was second season. He had yeah. a few tries in that first season without success. And he ran in a Peter Marsh on bottomless ground. I mean, you could have rated that 180, that Peter Marsh of last year when he won it by 20-odd lengths. It was unbelievable. But how well that translates to to Cheltenham on, under different conditions, I'm not so sure. If he'd have just been beaten on merit last year, admittedly he did have an excuse, I think he cut his leg and overreach or something, but he wouldn't be for me unless it, it would have to come up unbelievably testing for me to think he was a, a likely goal cut pass. Yeah. One thing you mentioned, just the last part of Manila Indo, mm. uh, this hasn't been mentioned much, I did hear it elsewhere, so I'm nicking the bit, but he hasn't got any form that is equal to what he did in the goal cup. At what point do you start to say, well, actually... He's a bit flattered by that because yeah. he has only done it once. None of his other form yeah. is, is of that caliber. And, that, and, that, and that's the trouble, though, isn't it? Because he he has disappointed so much. And as Dan said, it could have just been he was primed for that that particular day. And you know, when Henry's horses were, I mean, worried about him this year. Last year was form like we'd never seen, wasn't it? it was the, yeah, stable, the old stable, the stable cat could have won mm. in yeah. last last March or April. Yeah, completely. But uh, either way, even if that was a fluke, I'll keep backing him, Manella Indo, anyway. I'll keep his price down for everyone else. But that is a very fair point, though. And that one was a bit of a sucker punch then to me because I absolutely love the horse so, so much. And I'm really hoping to see him back then in the Gold Cup again this year. But really interesting. Polar opposite views, basically, from most of us then in the Gold Cup there. So that was a big one. That was our last race we were going to cover then as we better had wrap up this week's show. But I need to get back to the question before we finally do, though, because at the the question that I revealed then at the top of the show was who was the last horse to win the Gold Cup having finished second at the first attempt? It was Brigorn. And Dan, you have a specific reason then why you wanted to mention that question. So I'll let you yeah, take it from here. Two things, really. One, because it when he won it, he formed part of one of the most remarkable feats of training we'll probably ever see when Michael Dixon had the first five home. But also, because that's the task that faces a Plutard. He's, he finished second in his first time having a crack at a Gold Cup. And he's tasked with going one better. And from my point of view, I hope he does it. Yeah, definitely. So he's got to defy how many? What year was that? 1980? 82. It was that 82. long ago. I wasn't even born. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> A long time ago. <laughs> well, that's everything from us again for this week, where we've covered three of the biggest races. Next week, it's the turn of the girls, where we'll be discussing the Mayor's Novices Hurdle, the Mayor's Hurdle and the Mayor's Chase. And as a reminder that Racing Only Better is out on Friday, Wade In is out on Monday. Big thank you to all of the team for their work yet again this week. And please do remember, as ever, to gamble responsibly. So until next week, have a good one. <laughs>